I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. We're still kicking it with 13 Nights of Halloween. And we have a special guest today, Amy Derrick, who is a longtime listener and one of our faves, who we actually got to meet last, well, not last month, I don't know what month, at the True Crime Podcast Festival. And she's amazing. But Amy used to be a 911 operator, and that's what we're going to talk about today. There's also lots of cool stuff about her, like she works at an advocacy center right now, and she actually has a new podcast on the horizon. So welcome, Amy. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, Do you want to tell a little bit about your work at the advocacy center or your podcast? Um, So I am the crisis hotline coordinator for the advocacy center for crime victims and children in Waco. Basically, I answer the crisis hotline. Uh, when I'm on call, which right now is every other week, we do have volunteer advocates that answer as well. But we answer the crisis hotline. We also go to the hospitals with victims of sexual assault. And I'm also a case manager. So I work with a lot of the victims that I meet either on the phone or at the hospital. Yeah, so that's what I do for work. My podcast is going to be called Jail Mail. One of my very good friends, Brooke, and I are going to start it. Brooke is a forensic psychologist. We both love true crime. Y'all got to meet her as well. So we are going to write letters to prisoners, and we're going to talk about the crimes that they committed, and then hopefully get letters back from them, and then we can kind of talk about what they say. Because, you know, a lot of times you hear criminals say, well, that's not right. So why not just let them have their voice heard too, even though it's probably not true. <laughs> yes, I legit cannot wait for this podcast to come out. Same. So what we had in mind with this episode was because Amy was a 911 operator, you know, we always have questions about literally everything because <laughs> we know nothing other than what we see on TV. So right. we thought it would be cool for Amy to kind of give us the 411 on the day to day, you know, just her experiences. So I guess to start, what was the training that you got as a 911 operator? So the training, you have hands-on training, which would be kind of mirroring a dispatcher that's been there for a while. You also read a bunch, and then you can start taking calls after, I want to say it was about four or five days of like shadowing, mirroring them. I could start taking calls. Yeah, it's different for everybody. I'm just a quick learner. That seems so fast. Like, here, handle this complete crisis. (laughs) My butthole puckered. I'm like, in five, four, three, two, and you're on. Like, what the fuck? It's crazy, but I'm one of those people I learn better whenever I actually do it. So for me, it was pretty easy. I mean, I was in a small city doing 911. So there was usually only one dispatcher on at a time. So we did 911, did the like main phone lines, we wrote the radio, like everything. And so we had two different 911 computers. And the thing with the 911 computers, at least where I am, both of them have a phone, like a, it's like a regular phone thing. I don't know, like a receiver but you could mute one of them or both of them at any time. And so if I ever had a question, I could mute the other, you know, my trainer could mute and tell me this is what you need to ask. 
But then you also go through the state training, which is 40 hours of classroom training. And then, of course, you have hours that you have to do every year to keep your license going. And in the state of Texas, I don't know how many other states, but in the state of Texas, dispatchers are now considered first responders. So that's oh. pretty amazing. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Because yeah. you literally are the first person that they get. Yep. I think that's pretty amazing. They did that after I left. I think dispatchers don't get the credit that they deserve for sure. I could not do that job. I would hang up on somebody. Just uh, be like, I don't know what to do. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> like the voice, because look, I have had to call 911 too many times in my life for Same. like sick, somebody's hurt or, you know, whatever. One time there was an, an ex, not my ex, somebody else's ex that was coming to the house that was like, we needed help. Like he was in a rage. Like it, could have gone south really fast. Like they literally had to be like, I need you to calm down and tell me where you are. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, which I totally understand. But also that like, you know, sends me into a rage, like don't tell me to calm down, but also it worked. So I was calm and was able to tell them <laughs> what they needed to, to know. Yeah. And you know, a lot of people think that dispatchers have no heart or whatever, but we literally, it's like ingrained in us. And I still say us because I will forever bleed gold, which is the color for dispatch. But we are ingrained to remain calm. It's just one of those things where it sounds like we have no emotion and that, you know, sometimes it might sound like we're bored and don't want to talk to you. It's literally us in our head going, take a deep breath, ask the right questions. You know, you want to be a calm person for this person that is in crisis, because regardless of what kind of call it is, it's still a crisis to that person. I mean, trust me, I'll tell you about a call that I had that was not a crisis in my eyes or probably anybody else's eyes, but it was a crisis to her, you know? So that's one of the things that it, it a lot of people say, well, that dispatcher just didn't care about them. It's because you have to turn off the emotion. I mean, I feel like that's any emergent professional, you know, if, a, if, whether it's a dispatcher, a police officer, a, an EMT or a paramedic, or, you know, in the emergency room, like if you let your emotions get in the way, it will affect your decision-making. So you have to Absolutely. put yourself in check. Well, and that kind of leads me into what was going to be our next question was, you know, what's the number one rule that a dispatcher has to follow, but I guess it's stay calm, huh? It is. It's definitely stay calm. Every center has different rules. Like, for example, where I was at, it's a small city outside of Waco. And we would, a lot of times, y'all, believe it or not, probably 90% of the calls that come in on a 911 call are pocket dials, believe it or not. Wow. Yes. Because, you know, people put their phone in their pocket or they'll accidentally call on their Apple Watch. And you can always tell because you hear it like, you know, something like that. Like, you know, <laughs> yes. And where we were, we called the number back to make sure. But other agencies that were in the same area as us, they absolutely do not call back because if it's an emergency, then, you know, their thoughts on it are if it's an emergency, you could get that person into harm. Now, if it's something that doesn't sound like the pants, whatever, like we wouldn't call back, but 90% of the time it was a pocket dial. 
I guess maybe that's a big rule is depending on where you're at, you, you do or you do not call. You never hang up on somebody. Donna. I can't help it. If I didn't hang up on them, I would make them more like they would be calm. I would not be calm. They'd be like, ma'am, you should be comforting me, not me comforting you. (laughs) It's definitely, I mean, I will say this. It is not a job for everybody. Hell no. It is definitely, it's stressful, but you have to have that minute to just, you know, like they say, and I know you've said this several times before, Carrie, like in your stories, like, Everybody reacts differently to everything. And the first thing that always pops into my head is like the Ramseys. Like, well, they acted like nothing was wrong when mm-hmm. John Bonet was. It's everybody reacts differently to everything. And so it's kind of like that. Like a dispatcher just has to be able to react differently to everything. Now, trust me, there are plenty of times that I've hung up that phone and gone outside and cried. Plenty of times. Bless it. But you just have to keep it and check while you're on the phone. So when I was making fun of Donna just then and how I said, ma'am, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So on 911 calls, you always hear them say, ma'am, sir, that kind of thing. Is there anything in place that you know of like a, a gender neutral way that they're saying that? Because I mean, obviously we want to respect people's pronouns and all of that. And so, and and honestly, sometimes you don't know if it's a male or a female calling if they haven't told you anything yet. So is there anything in place? It really kind of depends on the call, to be honest, because it's not like screaming, like freaking out. I try to ask that person for their name, you know? And the best thing is to try to get the person's name. Because nobody, I mean, if you called 911 and I kept going, ma'am, 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 that would annoy you. But if I said, Carrie, stop, take a deep breath and answer this question for me, then that's going to make you, like, focus on what you need to do. Yeah. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. If there are calls where you, you know, somebody's screaming and you can't get them to calm down, then at that point you just have to say, listen, ma'am, or listen, sir. And I know that it might be the wrong pronoun, but at that point, we're just trying to get them help. So we know your number one do. What about your number one don't do? Hang Um, up on someone? (laughs) Yeah, don't hang up. I mean, I never did. I, I know other dispatchers that have before, but it wasn't like, oh, shut up, I'm hanging up. It was like somebody calling over and over and over again for something that was not an emergency. So at that point, if it's like the same person, and you know, the number pops up on the screen, like we can see who it is that's calling us. At least the number. If it's if they're calling from a landline, which is not that normal anymore, but <laughs> yeah. if they're calling from a landline in the house or like a business, it will pop up the address and the name and blah, blah, blah. If they're calling from a cell phone, that is like a working cell phone, it'll come up with the cell phone number. Now there's also cell phones that are not in use, but you can still use to call 911. You'll always right. be able to use a cell phone regardless of whether or not you use it every day. Um, and that will come up the 911 as the area code. So oh. we can call that number back. But yeah, I mean, for the most part, I know that kind of went away from your question, but don't hang up on somebody unless it's 
somebody that is calling you back to back for the same thing that is not like you've already either handled it or they're just calling just to call and, you know, be a jerk. Man, I remember growing up, like you were always like never call 911. I mean, unless obviously it's an emergency, but like you don't prank call 911. You don't prank call the operator. Like you are going to get in so much trouble if you do that. Yes. Like are there actual penalties for calling 911 like that? There can be. I mean, I never, we never had anything like that where we are, but I mean, I've seen it, you know, where people have, they call it abuse of the system, I think is what it's called, or abuse of emergency services, you know, like people that have called 500 times. I mean, and it happens, y'all. It happens all the time. But, you know, if somebody calls over and over again for something that's not an emergency, you know, at some point you have to be like, listen, we're going to send an officer over there and you're going to get a ticket, you know, or, you know, something like that. And if they keep on and keep on and keep on, then it can go further than that. So they can get a ticket. They can get arrested even, you know, um, because they're abusing the system because they're tying up the phone line. It's an emergency right. line. Absolutely. Yeah, I definitely think that there should be. Heck, I've even said that about um, people who have people look for their missing loved one that they killed and it's not actually missing. Like, mm -hmm. I think they need to be getting trouble yeah. for that. Yes, 100%. Okay, here's a question not in line with all of that, but something that I I need to know personally. How fast can you type? Like, do you have to type super fast or do you know, like, shorthand or do you have keys like those stenographers that, you know, like, you can see them on TikTok if you're like me, but it's completely different than the normal keyboards? I can type about 70 words a minute. Um, okay. So it's not super fast, but I definitely, I mean, I always had a piece of paper with me to write anything down, but I'm much faster at typing than I am writing. So yeah, I mean, I would usually type everything unless it was like a slow enough situation where I could write stuff down, but it's always faster for me to type. Because you always hear them like, again, on TV or whatever, where they're getting the information and as the caller is telling them the information, they're like, tick, 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 and you know that they're like sending messages to the police sending, all right, I've got them on the way, you know, and they're doing all this stuff. And so it's like, my God, how fast do they type? I don't know. It's much faster to type for me than it is to write. But like I said, I would write stuff down if I couldn't get to the, or if I kept, oh my gosh, sometimes my fingers just wouldn't work with me. And so yeah, I would just write down. Well, now I know. <laughs> I can guarantee you that the little on the on the TV that's probably not true. Like someone's probably just at some sound booth clicking numbers or whatever to make. <laughs> so you alluded to a call earlier. What's the most interesting call that you've ever gotten? There's so many different calls that pop in my head, but they're all completely different. One of them that sticks with me the most was I picked up 911, you know, 911, I always say, where is your emergency? And all I could hear was a baby screaming. And that really, it, I mean, it, of course, you know, you're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And they were okay. They had hit a cow, like in a car. And, you know, it just, it startled the baby. The baby was okay, but they had hit a cow, you know? So yeah. uh, that's why the baby was screaming. But that was, you know, that was one that popped in my head. 
Y'all want me to tell you the hard one or the funny one first? Um, let's go hard one first. Yeah. Okay. The one that made me leave dispatching, or that made me want to leave dispatch, I guess I should say, I was there, um, again, by myself, and I got a 911 call from a lady who had found her 14-year-old daughter who had shot herself and killed herself. Oh, and gosh. It was, she was screaming, and she was you know, freaking out. And I guess now that I'm telling the story, um, going back to your previous question, Donna, um, one of the things that we would always do, if there was a medical emergency, we would always get ETMC, which at the time, it's not that anymore, but the ambulance service, we would get the ambulance service en route, you know, before we even got anything else. That night, she had shot herself and so my first thought was where is the gun I'm sending officers over there I'm sending fire over there I'm sending ambulance over there I need to make sure that the gun is put away and they're going to be safe going in this house and so I'm you know trying to find out where is the gun I'm having to ask this mom these questions that is absolutely losing her mind and um it was it was really tough. I was very hard on myself afterwards because it took like two minutes for me to get the ambulance service en route when in all reality, they wouldn't have been able to do anything. But in my head, you know, we were always told, get the ambulance en route, get the ambulance en route. And I didn't do it. I was more worried about the safety of the officers and all the responders, you know. Right. So I guess that kind of answers your question too, Donna. <laughs> but to kind of tie it all in, three or four years before that, we had an officer that had committed suicide. And the last call that he took, a little girl that she was being sexually abused by her stepfather. Oh. And that was the last call he took. Come to find out this was the same girl. And oh, my got, gosh. Yes. She had gotten summons to go to court to testify against him. Oh, um, God. Yeah. Oh, that uh, is awful. Yeah. So it brought back memories of him. And then we have, you know, I took the call. And for days, I mean, weeks after, I could just hear the mom's screams, you know. And so it was really, that was what really made me want to find something different. Yeah, I can imagine. That's, oh, my gosh. Uh, is the burnout level high for dispatchers? Like you said, I mean, you're dealing with these awful situations that stick with you. But, you know, is there kind of like, oh, yeah, a dispatcher usually lasts five or ten years before they kind of have to find something else because it's just so hard? I think it really depends on the person. Jessica, my old co-host from my other podcast, she was a dispatcher for like, I don't know, 12, 13, 14 years. There are people, because I'm still like on dispatch. Facebook pages and stuff, and there are people that have made careers out of it. I think it just kind of depends on on how you handle it. I mean, I I love the job I did. It was just, it was a lot. I mean, not too long before that call, I had gotten an attempted suicide. I remember that night extremely well because <laughs> it's so weird. Y'all will understand this, but 
I couldn't sleep that night because, of course, you know, I could hear the screams because it was the girl that called. It was her best friend that had hung himself. He didn't die that night, but I couldn't sleep that night because all I could hear were her screams. And the reason why I remember that night so well, other than that, is at like 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning is when they started posting that they had figured out who the Golden State Killer was. And oh, I remember, wow. I know. I was like, oh, my gosh, I was awake when they announced that the Golden State Killer, you know, I mean, like, I was so yeah. Totally changed the perspective for me because I went from being upset about a call to, holy cow, they caught him. You know, I know that's yeah. crazy. And only true crime people will understand that. But <laughs> um, it was really exciting. <laughs> Calls like that will, uh, that will always stay with me. So, yeah. It was it was a tough day, and they actually, I mean, yes, the girl committed suicide, but just to put a little bit of a shiny bow on the story, they sent the stepdad to prison. Uh, I mean, he was gone by that point, obviously. He was not, mom had left him, obviously, but they ended up, you know, still charging him, and, and he went to prison for the case, even though the daughter had passed. That was kind of cool that they did do that, but that was the call that will stick with me until the day I die. I think that was a really rough one. So now for the funny one. Oh, okay. But you know, candid camera. I will never forget whenever I got this call and this lady is talking to me and I'm going, where in the world is this like candid camera for nine one one? So she calls. I really hope she doesn't listen y'all. Um, <laughs> she calls nine one one and she is freaking out. And I'm I mean, she's like hyperventilating as soon as I answer. And I'm like, Okay, tell me what's going on. How can I help you? And she said, I'm in my car. I can't get it to start. The doors are locked. I can't get out. <laughs> what? <laughs> Where's the camera, right? Yes. Um and I'm like, Okay. And literally, I'm not lying, y'all. Literally, I had heard a story a lot like this, not too long. I would say maybe six or seven months ago. Like, And I thought it was like a joke. Somebody had called about this. And, and so I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is candid camera. Someone is joking. Anyways, I'm like, okay, can you manually unlock your doors? And she's like, oh. And she was able to get out. Oh, my God. I know. And then the horn started honking. And I'm like, okay, you have a key fob. Yes. Okay. Try to turn off the alarm. And she's like, it won't work. I said, okay, maybe the battery is dead. Do you have another one? And she's like, yeah, I have one in the house. And I'm like, okay, well, just go get that one and see if that works. And she was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. You don't even know. Like, I'm. thank you so much. And I'm like, I cannot believe I just got this call. Oh my God. She, I mean, she was really sweet. And like I said at the beginning, like it was a crisis for her. She could not figure out how to get out of that car because the doors were locked. She wasn't computing that all she had to do was manually unlock the door. Who knows what's going on where, you know, she made, like, I know I've taken medicine that makes me foggy before, you know, that kind of thing. Or just sometimes you just have a long day where your brain just does not work. She could have been having one of those days. Oh, for sure. The officers were not happy with me because they wanted to go and see this lady because they were like, really? 
Could you imagine, hey, you need to go here to this address and will you open her door for her? <laughs> I know, I know. They wouldn't have been able to if it was locked. but have you seen that tiktok because everything in my life is tiktok where that lady the police were trying to get her out of her car like they were like getting mad at her being like get out of your car and she like like literally had like shaving cream or something in in her thing wiped her window and wrote in the shaving cream like i'm stuck like i cannot get out and they're like okay like move over and they had to like break in her car to get her out. Yeah. Like she was like, she was in distress. Like she was stuck. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I have seen that. I don't know if it's true or not. I mean, it could be, I don't know. There's so many spoof videos out there that it's hard to know. Like there's true. one that I'm sure you have heard before. If you haven't, you're welcome. I'm about to tell you about it. This guy calls 911 and says, my wife got bitten by a beaver and mm-hmm. we're at one, two, three eucalyptus. And the dispatcher's like, can you spell that? And he's like, I'll drag her over to Oak. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> but it's a spoof. Like, it's not real. You yeah. Know? Yeah. You never know what's real and what's not anymore, especially on TikTok. Okay. So in the spirit of Halloween, obviously, mm-hmm. you know, 13 Nights Halloween, were there different calls on Halloween? Like, could you tell like, oh, shit, it's Halloween? Honestly, Halloween was easy compared to like, the 4th of July. Oh, I or, bet. I mean, y'all, gunshot calls all day, all night, all the time. The main concern for Halloween was, I can't get down this street because there's too many cars. The town that I worked in, it was very family-oriented. And I'm talking, there were streets to go on. Like, you knew they had the king-size candy bars or whatever. <laughs> Those streets would be clogged with traffic, you know. So the, our main issue, and I felt really bad whenever I was like, they're asking me to do 13 Nights of Halloween, and I don't have a Halloween story for them. But <laughs> that was the main complaint that we would get was traffic because people couldn't get in and out of their street or in and out of their driveway or, you know, whatever, because there were so many cars. I did work overnights every once in a while, but for the most part, I worked either day shift or like three to 11 or something. So I was still there for trick or treating, but you know, it just kind of depended, but we never had anything big or bad for Halloween. It was just the boring calls. Even (laughs) as like a therapist though, after 4th of July, there would be, or new year's, there would be a lot of um, like fireworks exploding in hands and and all of that. And so I can imagine like y'all are getting those 911 calls for the same thing. So yeah, I totally can see how it would be more, you know, for those holidays. And like we would get 8 million calls about gunshots or we would get 8 million calls about so-and-so's popping their fireworks. Uh Uh-huh. We're aware, like if it was, so-and-so's popping their fireworks. Yes, we're aware. I mean, we had the whole, because we had a volunteer fire department. So the whole volunteer fire department was out and about in their truck. We, they were out and about. All the police, they would always hire a couple extra police officers just to kind of go around and tell people, you can't pop fireworks, you know. And, and there were a couple times that people would get a ticket because they wouldn't stop. But you know, that was the most of it was just so-and-so's popping fireworks. Yes, I know we have people on their way or (laughs) yes, the officers just talk to them or, 
I heard gunshots. Uh, I appreciate you, you know, calling about gunshots because it's fireworks. It was a lot. Are full moons different too? Like, I mean, I know that they say that people have more babies. And I mean, I'm telling you though, if you work in the medical field, full moons hit different. Is it the same for 911? Oh, no. It is definitely like you always know the crazies coming out on the full moon. Yeah, that was always lots of fun, especially when you have like the blood moon or whatever. I did a walking ghost tour of Waco the other day, and it was a full moon. And so we were all excited, like, oh, we're going to get a really good ghost walk. I did have a really interesting thing happen, but um, it was a full moon. So we were all excited, and it wasn't really anything special. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what happened? I know. You're marrying the lead, unless you're sitting in as a sinister sightings. Um, I'll tell you what happened. So back in 1953, there was a really, really bad tornado that hit Waco. I mean, like it was the costliest tornado until Joplin that happened a few years ago. My grandfather worked in the building downtown Waco, um, and he lived through the tornado. He actually broke a finger in it, but a lot of downtown Waco was just demolished from this tornado. And so we're walking by the Alico building, which I know doesn't really mean anything to y'all, but it's the big building in Waco. It's like, I don't know, 12, 15 stories. I've never been in it, but everybody knows about the Alico building in Waco. And it was actually hit by the tornado too. They said that it swayed like six feet in either direction, but it never came down. Damn. Um, I know. So we're walking by the Alico building and there's these bushes there next to it. And the guy that's the like ghost, tour host, whatever, he was like, so there's this lady that worked at this building and it was like across the street from the Alico and she died in the tornado. And it turns out that the, the my grandfather worked for a tailor shop and the shop that he worked at was like three doors down from where she worked. And so the host of this tour was like, you know, all the time when we come by these bushes, she'll, you know, like respond because, you know, they have like the EMF readers and stuff like that. And so, and I was actually holding one, you know, he was like, Mary, are you here? And so it kind of lit up a little bit, you know, but it wasn't anything big. And so everybody's just kind of like, oh, so what happened? Blah, blah, blah. People are just like having their own little side conversations. So I just said, Mary, did you know my grandfather? Like I, you know, called him by name. And I said, did you know my grandfather? And it literally went to red for like five whole seconds. Oh, my gosh. Like, oh, my gosh. Like, it was really cool. So, yeah. Um, yeah. But it was a full moon. So, you know. Wow. That's so yeah. cool. And that kind of is proof that that really could be Mary there. Because right. no one else would really know that it's your grandpa who worked there. And, you know, the whole thing. Right. And I mean, I didn't say his name, but like, and I guess like in 53, obviously Waco wasn't what it is today because of Magnolia and Baylor and the Branch Davidians. And, you know. I was going to say the Branch Davidians, but I didn't want you to be like, fuck, that's all anybody <laughs> knows Waco for. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that TikTok video, though? Uh-uh. There's a TikTok video where somebody's like, where are you from? And the guy goes, from Waco. And they're like, isn't that? And he's like... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like the British Davidians and the guy, the other guy is like, no, like Magnolia. 
<laughs> yeah, I was here for both, obviously. Um, actually, fun fact, my cousin lived in a house, like their property backed up to the property of the British Davidian compound. And the wow. FBI took over their house while they were doing their stuff. Oh wow. my gosh. This has nothing to do with Halloween or not much dispatch, but my uncle was, I mean, like really into like law enforcement. He was the head of the SWAT for Mississippi Bureau of Narcotics. He like lived for two years undercover in New Orleans and all, all this stuff. So he travels the country teaching SWAT tactics. And one of his friends that travels with him to teach these courses was in the ATF when they came to Waco for um, David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. And he goes through and talks about with him, like, this is what we did wrong. This is, you know, to, to, to teach like better SWAT tactics type yeah. thing. Yeah. Which I thought was really cool. And it, we, I got that to is, meet him and it was uh, like, Oh my God, you're so cool. <laughs> I know. I know. It's like amazing when you get to like meet somebody that's like, I'm not going to lie y'all. I was fangirl and bad when I met y'all. Like, what? Oh, gosh. You know, like whenever, you know, you meet somebody that's like an influential person in your life. They may not know it, but like I live and breathe for Mondays and Thursdays. Y'all are the very first podcast I listen to on Monday and Thursday because I listen to a bunch. But <laughs> I mean, as soon as I wake up, that's what I'm listening to. And so like it's I know that's crazy, but like you have those people like you're talking about, Carrie, like that's somebody that you have like looked up to or, you know, he was interesting to you. And that's kind of how it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much. We loved meeting you and Brooke. We had so much fun. She was like, those are like the coolest people. I'm like, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited for your podcast to come out. So hopefully it's coming out soon. I know it's like in the works and y'all are doing kind of some behind the scenes and stuff, trying to get letters and all of that. But I am so freaking excited for it. Me too. Is there anything else that you want to add that we haven't covered about being a 911 dispatcher? I think that people need to, I'm not trying to get on a soapbox here, but I think that people need to appreciate dispatchers more. I think that people don't realize how much they really do. A lot of them are way underpaid for what they do. I mean, it's kind of like policing, you know, it's kind of the same. Um, I know that dispatchers are not out there on the line, you know, the front lines or whatever, but when you call for an emergency, you expect someone to help you. And that's a dispatcher. Dispatcher yeah, is right. the one that's getting the officers or the firefighters or the ambulance or whatever out to you. And I think that people don't really give them enough credit. Well, and like you said, I mean, you know, in Texas now that they're considered first responders because you are. And so it's like, you know, no first responder is paid enough. A dispatcher, a police officer, a firefighter, or um, paramedics, EMT, nobody's paid enough. But, no. I mean, dispatchers don't even get the accolades that the other ones get, right. you know? So it's like, mm-hmm. damn, I mean, at least if we're going to get underpaid, at least I get some recognition and some support. But dispatchers are over here being like, hello, I'm the one that organized all you fuckers. Like, <laughs> you wouldn't know what to do yeah. without me. So can I get a little... uh Hoo-ha, hoo-ha Tuesday over here. <laughs> I know. Y'all, I'm not even going to lie to you. The very first Super Bowl after I left dispatching, this is so petty, but I'm watching the Super Bowl and Verizon had a commercial out and they 
we're talking about this like major accident or something and they highlighted every single first responder out there except for a dispatcher. And wow. I'm like, are you kidding me? First of all, Verizon is one of the biggest vendors that dispatch uses. And I'm like, you literally did this huge nationwide, obviously millions of people are watching it. It's the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. There's no telling and how much you spent on it. I was going to say, and, in millions of dollars. Yes. And not once did you mention a dispatcher. I don't know if you know, like, all the different colors, but, like, you know, the blue line is police, red line is fire, the gold line is dispatch. And I always say I will bleed gold until the day I die because that's something that ne- that you never lose. Like, you know, that's something that will stick with you forever. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, because it's a a family. It's you get so I mean, I know you were by yourself when you were dispatching, but still it's like especially trauma and crisis brings people together. So when that's your job all day every day is handling people's trauma and crisis, like you have to rely on your coworkers and your peers. And so y'all are a family, you know, everybody. Mhm. Yes. And I will say too, I mean, where I worked because we were a smaller jurisdiction, the one pro that we have that, you know, other agencies that are bigger don't have is we could hear the outcome of cases because it was a small agency. The officers would come up there and be like, okay, so this is what happened, you know, but you go to a bigger agency and a lot of the dispatchers have no idea what happened once they release that. So it's really, really, I think that was one thing that was helpful for us in a smaller agency that we knew There is a case, Carrie, I would love for you to cover that is about how, and I hate to do this, these dispatchers messed it up. And I think it's a case that is very important. If you ever want to do it, it's about Denise Amber Lee. Okay. Uh, It was out of Florida and her, her husband actually goes all over the country teaching at dispatch conferences and stuff. I've met him. He's a really amazing man. Um, but she was literally abducted from her house and she was murdered. Several people called 911. She called 911 and the dispatchers dropped the ball. <gasps> and yeah, she was murdered. I mean, that's why he goes all over the country now. I mean, it's called the Denise Amber Lee Foundation and he goes all over the country and does training. So wow. it's a really, it's super sad, but it is definitely, you know, you dispatchers, obviously make mistakes like everybody. These dispatchers made some pretty big ones, but it's also something that will teach you, you know, it's it's a training teachable mm-hmm. moment, I guess, even though we lost somebody that was precious. I mean, her dad worked for the sheriff's department, y'all. Like, oh my gosh. It was, and, and her kids were still at home. Like this man abducted her from her house and her kids were still there. So. Wow. It's a really sad story, but it, it's a really you know, good one if you ever cover it. Well, because ultimately, I mean, that's why the training and all is so important because people, I mean, dispatchers are human too. So you, you hold them to a higher standard because of their jobs, but on the flip Mm -hmm. side, they are human. And that's why training for officers and all first responders is so important because the more you train, the less mistakes. Exactly. 100%. Because you always want to be able to know that when you call 911 in an emergency that you're going to get the help that you need. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, you know, like one lady literally saw the car and called 911. They weren't working together well. It was a bigger agency where there was more than one dispatcher. Because there's some agencies that have call takers and some that only work the radio and some that only work the, you know, regular landline phones. So the person that's a call taker, like on the 911 computer, types up a message that goes to the person on the radio who then puts the message out on the radio to the officers. In my case, I did all of it. So that's not something that, you know, we dealt with. But like if you watched um, The Call, uh, the Halle Berry movie. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or even 911 on Fox, like you can see, like there's a ton of dispatchers in that dispatch center. Um, and there's a ton of them that only, I mean, like Jennifer Love Hewitt's character on 911 or Halle Berry's character, they were a call taker. So they didn't work the radio. They just worked the 911 phone. But most of them, I think, get trained in every position. And then they just tell you what, you know, what position you're going to be in when you come in for the day. Yeah. So it's not easy, y'all. It's really not. But it's rewarding if you have the support that you deserve, I guess. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you for your service as a dispatcher. And thank you so much for doing this interview with us. We have had a blast and learned a ton. Hopefully y'all enjoyed this for 13 Nights of Halloween. We appreciate y'all listening. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, and listen to Jail Mail when it comes out. And remember, creep it real and and don't don't get scared. scared.